I just want to begin by saying I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for all God is doing uh, among us, in us, and through us. And I'm excited about the future of our church and where God's taking us. And uh, uh, what a privilege to know so many of you and to get to know your testimonies and to hear uh, how you live or, or living lives of thanksgiving, um, not just you know, not just words, happy Thanksgiving, but a lifestyle of thanks living. And so I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for the many expressions of your uh, support and kindness and prayers that you gave to the members of our staff in uh, this past month. And uh, just wanted you to hear from me how grateful I am for those expressions of support and kindness, and especially for your continued prayers. That's what we need more than anything is prayer. And so this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bible, Thanksgiving message coming to us from Matthew chapter 9, and that's our text this morning. As you know, for the past uh, several months, maybe not several, but at least for the past few months, we've been studying Matthew 8 and 9 together as a unit And as we've been studying these two chapters together, uh, we've been approaching the text from the theme of these two chapters, which is bringing the kingdom to the broken. And one of the things that we've learned in our study is that we have uh, learned that these two chapters, when we look at them together, they uh, lay before us ten miracles that Jesus performs, but the two chapters are not just about miracles, but interspersed in the report of these 10 miracles, we are also shown four different conversations, dialogues that Jesus has with different people. And these four dialogues all have to do with discipleship. And this morning in our text, we come to the third dialogue in, uh, in our reading. And I want you to follow along with me as we read in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, this third dialogue explains how, is how Jesus explains that now that he's come into the world, everything's have changed, and that uh, it's time for us to leave the old behind, and that's his message. And so I want you to look with me in Matthew 9, beginning at verse 14. Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, no one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch will pull away from the garment and make the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst. The wine spills out and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wine skins and both are preserved. A part of discipleship is leaving the old behind. It's like decluttering your home. Any of you ever do any decluttering? I look forward to that about like going to the dentist office. I just don't look forward to it at all. And the reason, one of the reasons I find it so hard is because 
inevitably, while you're decluttering, you're going to come across some things that have memories attached to them. This is the week when we bring down all the Christmas decorations from the attic. And uh, that's going to put us among things that maybe we haven't seen in some time. And it, it never fails that when we get ready to bring those items down, there are boxes filled full of these old decorations that we kept. I, I don't know, but we just keep them. We will not throw them away because there's a memory attached to every one of those decorations. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about here? So it's really hard to take those down. But honesty, you know, demands that we just admit to ourselves, you know, we haven't used those decorations in years. They're not doing anything but sitting in a box year after year, taking up space and collecting dust. Still, it's hard to take a box of memories to the curb for trash pickup. And I think that's why decluttering is so difficult. Well, in our passage, Jesus is talking about letting go of the old things that no longer apply now that he has come into the world. The old ways don't work anymore. Now, historically, when Jesus came into the world, everything changed. And personally, when Jesus comes into our lives, everything changes. Now that Jesus has come into the world, we find in our passage, everything has changed. Our passage begins with a question, doesn't it? I mean, go back and look at verse 14. Specifically, the question is, why don't Jesus' disciples fast? And Jesus uses the question uh, to teach a much broader truth, and the broader truth that he teaches is that everything has changed since he came into the world. So it all begins with a question about fasting. Now, the Old Testament commanded that Jews fast. All Jews were to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, but people fasted at other times too. It was also true that they fasted in periods of time when there was loss or grief, time when uh, there was a time for repentance for sin. In fact, documented in Scripture, there are times when the entire nation fasted and prayed together at the same time. And uh, I love the fact that here in the United States, you know, in May, we have a day that we set aside, a national day of prayer, and uh, we don't always fast along with that, but it's a time you get when the entire nation comes together to pause and to look toward God. And so as an outward act of piety, the Pharisees, of course, fasted. In fact, they were dedicated to fasting. They had a ritual they went way beyond what was required in Scripture, and they fasted routinely two days a week, on Mondays and Thursdays, every week. And we know from Jesus' own observation, his words early in our text in Matthew chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus recognized among the Pharisees, he says, don't be like them. He said, you know, they make their faces look sad. Uh, you know, they wear a long face, and they try to let everybody know that they're fasting. Well, the Pharisees fasted. They fasted twice a week. And uh, John's disciples also fasted. But their fasting differed from that of the Pharisees because John's disciples, in keeping with John's message, which was what? A message of repentance. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. The Son of God, the one appointed from God, 
We need to prepare our hearts for him. And so as a sign of their repentant attitude, they entered into a time of fasting. So what you have is you have two group of people. And both are fasting. And the scripture tells us that both of them are fasting. But each of them are fasting for different reasons. And yet, both of them have something in common. What is it? They're fasting, but Jesus' disciples are not fasting. And John's disciples wanted to know, why is that? And when they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? He answered their question with a question. I don't think that was to avoid giving them a direct answer, but rather... He did that because he wanted to make a point. And so what we have is we have this illustration of the bridegroom that is given in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? Now you recognize that that is what we call a rhetorical question. He's not really expecting anybody to answer out loud. In fact, he's saying this in such a way as to lead them to the answer and the obvious answer is you don't fast when the wedding groom is present when the bridegroom is present I mean weddings are not times for fasting although it would make your pocketbook if you're the father of the bride a little heavier uh, you know it'd be totally inappropriate for us to fast at a wedding And so what we need to understand is when Jesus makes this statement is that he is pointing to a scripture. In fact, that is something, just mark this down. If you you don't know this already, when Jesus speaks, Jesus does not give new information. Are you with me on that? Do you understand? You really need to mark that down. When Jesus speaks, he's not giving new information. When Jesus speaks, he has an Old Testament text in mind. And that's how he goes about teaching truth. He points to the Word of God that has been given to us to study. And Jewish rabbis understood that there were two ways for people to read Scripture. The first is Peshat, and that in Hebrew means the introductory reading, your first reading of a text. And we're all familiar with that. You've been in a discipleship group. Anybody been in a D group? What? Get your hand up. You've been in a D group? Okay. So you've been in a D group. And, in, you know, you're, you're reading passages of Scripture and you're making notes to yourself. And they're really just things that God is saying to you. Anybody in here ever have a daily reading that you come to? And I mean, the clock's ticking. You know, you've got five days you need to report to your group on that you read, you know, it's, they're holding you accountable for reading the text. You ever come to one of those passages where you read through it and you go, but what? I mean, I just, <laughs> you know, nothing jumped off the page at me. You ever read it a second and third time? I mean, sometimes I've gone back and read it the next day and something will just jump off the page at me and I'll just go, why didn't I see that yesterday? I mean, I said... <laughs> I sat staring at this for like an hour and nothing came to me and then it came to me and that's what we call a second level reading except 
in, uh, among the Jewish rabbis, a second level reading is what we call remez. And remember, I introduced this term to you last week. The word remez is a teaching technique that was used by rabbis. And the word literally means hint. And so when they would, Jesus would teach a truth, what he would do is he would give them a hint that would unlock the door for them to understand this passage of Scripture. And the hint would be a reference to an Old Testament text. Now, when he does this in our passage of Scripture here, he's obviously going back to the Old Testament and he's reminding people of something that the Old Testament says many times over, and that is this imagery of the bridegroom as being a picture of God's relationship with the nation of Israel, that they are joined to one another. And I want to just share a few of those with you. Would you write these down? I've got their, the references are on the screen. But let me just read a few of them to you. These all come from the book of Jeremiah, by the way. These, these particular ones that I'm reading. I'll remove from the cities, uh, Jeremiah 7, 13, uh, excuse me, 34. I'll remove from the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the sound of joy and gladness and the voices of the groom and the bride for the land will become desolate waste. And then you read over in Jeremiah chapter 16, uh, verse 9. This is what we read there. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. I am about to eliminate from this place before your very eyes and in your time the sound of joy and gladness, the voice of the groom and the bride. Now, once again, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 10, listen to what it says. I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them, the voice of the groom and the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the bridegroom. And while I am present, this is not a time for fasting. And my disciples are not fasting because I am here. I have come into the world. The bridegroom is here. It's time to rejoice. And Jesus goes on to say in that 15th verse, if you look at it, the last part of it, Jesus goes on to say, the time will come when the groom will be taken from them and then they will fast. And when Jesus makes this statement, he's referring to all those Old Testament prophecies that speak about his death. And he's pointing them to the fact that his death is coming and then when he is absent, then the time will be for them to fast. And you know, we live... Today, for 2,000 years now, we have been living in what's called the church age. And during the church age, God has come to live inside of believers through what? The presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, we have Jesus with us. And our occasion for fasting is not the fact that Jesus died and left us, but Jesus has come to be within us. And today when we fast, we don't mourn his departure. What we do is we fast in what? In anticipation of his coming. You know, I've 
read just recently an article where somebody just reminded me again of the obvious, and that is that nobody, not even Jesus says, knows the exact time and hour when he will return. But many times when he was here on earth, what did he say? Be ready. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. And so today, you see, we fast. We have the Holy Spirit, God's with and we fast. And the reason why we fast is because we want to repent of our sins. We want to be ready for Jesus' return. So you see, everything changed when Jesus came into the world. The Old Testament laws no longer applied in the same way. The Jewish ceremonies and sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ's death on the cross. And all of the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And now the Messiah had come. And I want you to notice also in verses 16 and 17 that now that Jesus is coming to the world, the old is incompatible with the new. And Jesus makes this very plain. In verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, remember when Jesus speaks, what do we learn? He's not presenting new information. He's referencing an Old Testament text. That's what he's wanting to use as a teaching tool. Now go through that passage of Scripture. Look at those verses again very closely. Verses 16 and 17. And just go through it line by line. And as you go through it line by line and you're reading the verse, I want you to start underlining key words. So that if you were going to try to cross-reference this passage with other references in the Old Testament, these are key words you would use. So what kind of words jump out at you? This would be audience participation. This is where you come in. Okay, garments. Don't, <laughs> don't be afraid. Okay, it's just right in there. Just pick out a word. Old, new. How about wineskins? Anybody get that one? Because when I ran through that, I found a number of different words. But I just thought, you know, just thinking through, that's not a word you come across every time you turn the page of Scripture. So I got curious, and I thought, well, what would that be? Now, you, you do remember that when, when Jesus would use these terms, when he would make a reference, the Pharisees and John's disciples, they don't have computers they don't have Bible apps. They don't have word search programs. But they knew the passages. Now there's a reference to wineskins in Joshua and another reference in Job. And I guess we could have a debate about which of these passages he's referencing. But the one that I believe Jesus is referencing is one that is found in Jeremiah chapter 13. And the reason why I believe this is the passage Jesus has in mind is because 
several of the same words that are used in this passage are used in Jeremiah 13. In other words, it's not just about wineskins. It's got new. It's got old. It's got uh, things that burst. It's got things that wear out. It's got all of these images in one passage. And what I want to do is I want us to read it in Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. But it's in the New International Version. And uh, that for us is not a version that I typically read from. So uh, I want to read it for you now. Jeremiah 13, verse 1. Uh, listen very closely to it. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist and do not let it touch the water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and I put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and now go to Parah and hide it there in a crevice in the rock. So I went and I hid it at Parah. In the, as the Lord told me, and many days after, later, the Lord said to me, Now go to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where it had hidden it, but now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who do what? Refuse to listen to my words. Who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem, and I didn't ask for this verse to be printed, but verse 14 says, and I will smash them one against the other. Now, as we read through the passages together, did you see the overlap? You see the number of times the same words that Jesus is use, uses in Matthew are found in this 13th chapter of Jeremiah and this prophecy. In the prophecy, God pronounced judgment on disobedient Israel. And so he gives for us in Matthew two matching illustrations to teach the same point. Now, whenever Jesus would say, Truly, truly, I say unto you, or as we had in the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you. We learned that whenever he would repeat a word, it would be for emphasis. In other words, pay attention to this. Perk up. Listen to what I am saying. And so here we have a text. He's asking them to perk up and listen. 
And he does so by giving two illustrations. They're different illustrations, but they're both identical in that they teach the same point. Now, most of our clothing today comes pre-shrunk. And so it was not so in Jesus' day. In fact, when you would wash clothing, what would happen is, is that the clothing would shrink until it would reach a point where eventually it would shrink no more. The illustration, no one would take an unshrunk piece of cloth and try to patch a hole in a garment that is completely shrunk because then when you wash the garment, the patch that you put over, it's going to shrink and it's going to get smaller and smaller and that stitching is going to tear. It's going to make the tear greater than the one that you sought to repair in the first place. Then he gives the illustration of the wineskins. And what would happen is, is they would kill an animal. And uh, it, it actually could have been multiple uh, types of animals. But let's take a goat skin just for example, because that was uh, prevalent in a common animal that was used to make a wineskin. And what would happen is, is that the animal's uh, skin uh, that would be used, they would go through a process in the course of, of, of curing to get it ready. But it would be very, um, it would have some elasticity to it at first. But over time, what would happen is it would become brittle. And so no one takes new wine, puts it in there, by the way, new wine is grape juice. No one would take grape juice and put it in there, but then it has a little something-something put with it. And that chemical reaction that begins to happen as it sits in the wineskin over time turns it into an alcoholic beverage, and this fermenting process causes gases to begin to expand. Well, if there's no elasticity in the skin, what will happen is that that brittle animal skin will burst when the wine begins to expand. And then what happens? You lose the wine skin and the wine. It all is wasted. I think if Jesus were giving this illustration today, he probably would say something more like, you can't use an old cable cord, an old charger to charge an iPhone. Or he might say, you can't play a DVD in a VCR. Some of you are saying, what's a VCR? I mean, otherwise you'll ruin the DVD and you'll ruin the VCR. Since Jesus came into the world, the old is incompatible with the new. Again, through the prophet Jeremiah, he declared in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. 
Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. And this was fulfilled in Jesus. When he came into the world, he instituted a new covenant. Jesus said, the time has come. God's new covenant is a covenant he made through me, his son. A new covenant that is made for us in Jesus' blood. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And everyone who puts their trust in him will be saved. And it says, in Christ, he will remember our sins no more. Happy Thanksgiving. Talk about something for which to give thanks. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And now that we are his children by faith in Jesus Christ, he's not asking us to do anything in order to receive this gift, just simply to understand all that he has done for us should cause us to praise and give him our devotion and our lives and our all because we no longer belong to ourselves. We're no longer what we once were, but we are something new. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature, a new creation. All, th- all things have passed away. New things have come. All things have been made new. The old is incompatible with the new. Well, let's just follow that up for a moment as we close the loop on this passage. Now that the old has gone away and the new has come, and now that we are saved, the Scripture gives us this command in Philippians 2.13, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, it's not talking about working so that we can be saved. We're saved by Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. Christ did that for us. But now we belong to him. We're new creatures. Can't go back to the old way of living. What's he saying? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, in reverence, in holiness, recognize the Lord Jesus is living inside you. We can no longer sin as we did before Christ came in. The Holy Spirit won't tolerate it. We have changed ownership. We now belong to Jesus. 
And so once we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we must cooperate with God in a whole series of changes. And they don't happen all at once. When we don't do it by ourselves, the Holy Spirit comes in and works with us and begins to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And by the way, God says, now we can do this the easy way or the hard way. It's your choice. I wish I could say I always go the easy way, but sometimes I go the hard way. What God wants us to understand, and not just today at Thanksgiving, but throughout the year, is no one can come to Christ and continue living the same old life they did before they knew Christ. Now, a sinner can be reasonably happy in his or her sin. You know that? But a true believer will never be happy in their sin. As a Christian, sin is only going to make you miserable. But that's a good thing. It's another reason to give thanks. It's a reason to give thanks because it's telling you that God will not leave you the same way he found you. The old is incompatible with the new. That's what he's trying to teach you. And so our lives must change to accommodate the Lord Jesus so that he can be a welcome guest in the home of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for doing everything for us that's required for salvation. And I know that nothing would make you happier than today for someone to come and open up their life to you and say, yes, Jesus, save me from my sin. I confess I have left you out of my life. I ask you, Jesus, to come in and cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me. Help me to live for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for paying the price with your own blood that I could be forgiven. And Lord, for those of us who know you, thank you again for reminding us that salvation is a free gift. Oh, how we thank you for that. We thank you also for loving us enough to remind us that while salvation is a free gift, discipleship is not a free ride. That those who would follow you, those who would love you, will obey you. And this morning, if there's anyone here today, God, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of their salvation, but if there's anyone in here or anyone listening online to this message this morning, I think the worst thing that could happen would be for us to deceive ourselves into saying that we did something maybe years ago 
We ask Jesus to come into our life. But there's been no real evidence that our lives have changed. And Father, the truth is, is that nobody can ask you to come in without experiencing a change. And the worst deception is self-deception. And so I pray for that boy, girl, teenager, husband, father, wife, mother. Lord, open our eyes to see our true condition before you, to see our true need before you today. And as it is my realization today that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Father, I ask for personal cleansing in my own life, even as I did in, earlier in our worship service and even throughout the week as I am reminded that you are living inside of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for that forgiveness that you don't throw my sins up to me and Lord Jesus we do pray for your return and we pray that we'll be fit and useful service fit and useful for your service and that we'll be ready at any moment when you appear I want us to take just a few moments in silence before we sing and respond. And I want you to speak to God from your own heart. This is a time just for you and Him. And would you talk to Him right now in your spirit?